Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. It was uh, my sophomore year I'll never forget. Because I had grown up in Granite City, Illinois. That's, many of you know, was my home. And we decided to move to East Texas. Now, you don't have to guess the culture in Granite City, Illinois, and East Texas, Brownsboro, Texas, it's just different. And so sophomore Eric James Park stood out a tiny, tiny bit when we rolled into town. And I was so dreading one moment. I knew going to this new high school with no friends that the moment that the, the friendlessness would be on full display it wasn't actually when I first walked into the building and it wouldn't be at my first class. It would actually be at my first lunch table, right? Like lunch is the scariest place for a brand new kid. Anybody know what that feels like? Walking into a lunch table and knowing that you're going to have to endure this lunch all by yourself. We were made to eat food together, meals, break bread together. And so like, I can still remember like everything about the day walking in and having like the plastic trays that had like indentations. They were, bl they were blue and yellow. I still remember it where they would put all the slop, right? <laughs> Sorry if, if you work in a high school kitchen, I'm not trying to throw, throw you under the table or the bus. I remember sitting down at my table and thinking, I just need to eat this as fast as I can so I can get out of here, right? Someday I'll make some friends, but today's just probably not gonna be that day. So I sat at the table and, and I still remember the tables too. Like it's seared in my memory. They were steel with a white plastic top and then blue little circles, right, that you sat on. And then they would fold up and they'd move them out. Some of you know, you went, it's like, Every school buys these tables from the same exact place, right? So I sat at that table and I started to mow down my meal. What happened next, I'll never forget. You don't forget people when they're kind to you. I remember Ty Thomason, quarterback of the Brownsboro High School football team, coming over to my table saying, hey, you want to come eat with us? I was like, yes, I've been rescued. I was saved. <laughs> I sat at his table and Ty became one of my closest friends. But you know, I think about that moment. I think about that moment. And I realize there's such power in those moments because the reality about you and me as human beings, the reality about you is that you weren't meant to eat alone. You weren't meant to do life by yourself. This isn't the original design for your life. And we know it because if you go to this book, it's right at the beginning. I mean, literally right at the beginning. In the story of creation, God is looking at everything that he's done and he's going, oh, I did that, that was good. Oh, I did that, that was good. Oh, I did that, that was good. And then he came to one thing. In Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says that the Lord said, oh, it's not good that man, that us 
should be alone. Like he created you for deep, rich connection. And yet there's an epidemic in our world of loneliness, isn't there? Like, man, so many of us walk through life by ourselves. And the truth is we need human connection, but sometimes we fear it. We have history that tells us like, oh, no, no, don't step in there. You're going to get hurt. Don't be connected there. You're going to get burned. We, we live in this world that probably reinforces it because how many of you feel like we live in maybe the most divided times that the world has ever known? Anybody else feel that way, right? Doesn't it feel that way? Doesn't it feel like our world is absolutely fractured and you know When we find ourselves as human beings in moments where things feel really fractured, you know our natural instinct is to move towards safety, to move towards familiar. In fact, what we tend to do, because we need relationship and nobody's meant to live life alone, but because we fear that if we step into these relationships that are so divided and so fractured that it'll just get blown up, we begin to look for places of safety to build relationships. We look for familiarity. We begin to structure our tables. If we use the table as a metaphor for relationship, we begin to build them around things that we know will be safe. We, we call it tribalism. And tribalism takes forms, many different forms. But if you imagine this table and you're like, man, I'm going to build a community that isn't divided. And so let's center our table on something that I know everybody there is safe on. Typically, you know, we, maybe it's, you know, I don't know, the Cardinals. (laughs) Nobody here is going to be going to that table. Right? We, we build a table because we're like, oh, if it's all Cardinals fans, I don't have to worry about it. Or maybe if we do that and we're like, oh, what I'll look for is I look for some, right? You go, I don't have to worry about any Cardinals fans here. They're not going to mess anything up. Or maybe it's this team. What's what? Yeah. You know? Maybe it's the, but, but whatever it is, what we tend to do is in divided times, we look for relationships where there's certainty. So we put whatever it is at the center of the table, you could put a donkey here or an elephant here. Our politics. We, we center it around things that are safe and then we fill the seats of the table with people who think like us and act like us and look like us. Because why? It's safe. In divided times, this is what we do. And you know, it's interesting because we like to think that maybe these divided times are a uniquely American thing, but BBC did a a research project where 20,000 people were asked the same question about the depth of the division that they see in their country. And do you know that of the 27 countries where 20,000 people were interviewed, all but two countries believed that we are so deeply divided that we will never get past it? It's not uniquely us. This is happening everywhere. And so in those moments, we retreat to safety around things that we know. We build spaces that look like us. Well, you know, I think there's hope for us. Because if you want to look at where Jesus launched his church, 
I would make the argument that he launched his church, the church, when he came to this world in the most divided times that the world had actually ever known. It was the Roman Empire. This was 2,000 years ago. And what we knew, know about those times is that in the time that Jesus came to this planet, Jews and Gentiles, they did not interact. It did not happen. There was no courtesies. Slaves were everywhere. The class system existed. There were rich on the regular expected to take advantage of the poor. There were racial rivalries that made what we see in terms of racism look pretty pale. In the time that Jesus came to earth to establish his church, there were divisions among male and female, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. It was into this fractured, divisive milieu that Jesus brought the gospel. And so you have to ask yourself, why? Why would Jesus come and begin to establish this community in a time when it was the most divisive, the most broken? And Jesus answers this question. In fact, if you have your Bibles, it's, it's going to come on the screen. But Jesus gives us the answer as to why he came to the most divided time to set up a new kind of table. He says it in John chapter 17. Here's what he says. He says, as you father are in me and I'm in you, may they, he's talking to us. He's talking to the church. He's saying, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. They're going to believe that the world sent, the world will believe that Jesus was sent because we're in him, that we believe in him. But listen what Jesus adds. He says, the glory that you've given me, I've given them, right? He's given you this so that they may be one as you and I are one. I in them, you and me that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus was saying, I was sent into this broken, divided world not to set up little tribes that look like each other because that's easy. That's what we do in divided times. Rather, Jesus was saying, I'm gonna set up a brand new community That is so crazy that when people walk by and see it, they'll be like, wait, what? How in the world are the people sitting at this table sitting at this table? Because you got Cubs fans and Cardinals fans and White Sox fans and Bears fans and Green Bay Packer fans, right? All of them sitting at the same table, chopping it up, loving each other. People will walk by and go, well, there has to be a God. This is what Jesus was up to. He was setting up a new kind of table that wasn't based on tribe or social status or ethnicity. 
that the unifying factor wasn't country or flag. He was setting up a brand new kind of space where people from all walks of life sat, connected, were unified under something different. Now, I think one of the things that we have to understand as the church, and I think this is maybe the failure of us preachers over the last 40 years, is that we failed to include the importance in the idea of the gospel around the table. Let me me help you understand what I mean. I think oftentimes when I say as a pastor to you, the gospel, you think immediately of a verse like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, loved me, that he gave his only son so that me, I could get into heaven, right? That I'll have my sins forgiven and I can live with him forever, me. we, We think about it in those ways. And when we think about like, being formed into the likeness of Jesus. We think about, um, I need to get up in the morning and have a quiet time or read my Bible. And all those things are good. But we, we are really focused on the individualized, uh, the individualized side of the gospel, that, the side where God redeems me. But we oftentimes leave out a second part of the gospel. Actually, it's connected together. It's this table. It wasn't just Jesus that was saying what would be proof of who he was and why he came would be around the table. Did you notice he didn't say what would be proof is how much we know and how many Bible verses you can say. Did you notice that? He said, what would be proof that you sent me is that this crazy table is filled up with a bunch of people who never sit together. A bunch of people that the whole world looks at and goes, that's nuts. That's nuts. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. And this is a long passage, but you got to stick with me because it's not just Jesus who, obviously, when Jesus says it, it's authority. But the Apostle Paul begins to actually operationalize the whole concept that the gospel is about me and you getting redeemed, but also about us being connected. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, listen to what he says. He says, now, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's saying, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You you didn't get to be a part of the family of God. He said, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near. So we know this part of the gospel, right? Like, no matter where you come from, no matter how dark your life has been, no matter the mistakes that you've made, that if you claim faith in Jesus, like, you can have heaven forever. Like, this is what the Apostle Paul's saying. And we know that part, but listen, listen. He goes on. And he says, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one? He's saying these two groups that were far apart, Jews and Gentiles, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, here is his goal, right? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two 
thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Listen, when we think about what Jesus was up to, most of the world had a table where it was centered on something else. On all these concepts, these ideas, and these days we build our tables similarly. In fact, we do it in churches. How many people do you know have left their church because of their politics? Very few people these days leave their politics because of their church. We centered it on these concepts that we go, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Sometimes we, we even do this. You don't like to admit it. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm getting old. You don't like to admit it. But sometimes you put a pastor at the center of the table. You're like, oh, I like him. Oh, yeah. Got great sneakers and a nice beard and he speaks so well. But then whenever I go or leave or say something you don't like, then we go, oh, I'm done with that. See, listen, listen. What Jesus had in mind was a new kind of table that's centered on something else and only on one thing. Jesus. That whatever you bring to the table, whatever your background is, wherever you grew up, whatever hat you wear, cool, Wear that hat to the table. But the thing that unifies us is that. Him and him alone and him first. And, and, and here's what we say around Forest City Church. Look, we want red hats and blue hats and whatever libertarian hats are, purple, whatever. We, we don't care. We want Cubs fans and Cardinals fans. We want people who are black and brown and white and young and old and rich and poor. The uniting piece about us are not these secondary issues. The uniting piece is this and this alone. Jesus, just him, what he said, what he did, how he lived. And this is what Jesus came to set up. This isn't my idea. It's far from it. This is Jesus' concept. You know, I thought about how do I help us understand this with one more analogy? I pulled this thread out of a carpet. The phrase I like to think about is that the gospel is definitely about weaving you into who God is. But it's also about weaving you into the family of God. If you think about yourself like as this little thread, right? Little thread. God picked you up out of a pile somewhere. Some of us remember the day. Mine was January 1st, 1995. And he's like, I see you. You're a pretty amazing thread. You know, I, I want to do something with your life. He began to weave me into who he was. But see, the interesting thing about the way we sometimes approach the gospel is we leave it at this reconciliation, just me and him. I'm still a single thread. Sure, God's doing neat stuff in me and God's doing amazing stuff in my life, but many of us never truly get weaved into the second 
piece of the gospel. And the problem is, if you're not weaved into a new community, you're still by yourself. You still can be broken. It's still not particularly strong. See, I'm going to use this analogy. This is, I don't even know if this is going to work. What did he have in mind? If you think about, I pulled the thread from this carpet. Imagine if it isn't just to have you as a singular thread, but what if the goal of all of it is to weave you into something like this? I mean, think about what happens when you begin to weave threads, all of us together into something centered around Jesus. You know, I could break that thread really, really quick. Good luck. You can't pull it. I can't break it. It, You can't. There's something in strength. And, 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 look at this. Do you see how many different threads there are in that? Like there's light blue and dark blue and deep green and brown and white. Do you see what happens when God's community gets weaved together? It's incredibly strong and unbelievably beautiful. When all these threads from all over this city get weaved together in the person of Jesus, this is what Jesus had in mind, except his carpet looks way better than this one. It's way stronger than this one. But this is the gospel. I want every time you walk by a carpet like this, I want you to walk by as you walk over and go, oh, this is the picture of the gospel. This is what he wants to weave me into. He wants to weave you into this. We're no more old distinctions of race and ethnicity and gender and social status. No, no, no. We get weaved into something grander and more beautiful for his name's sake. I was around in the early days of Heartland. We used to talk about Acts chapter 2 all the time, right? The Acts 2 church, this place where these people were weaved. It wasn't just redemption for them. They, they were reconciled to each other, and they were weaved into this beautiful carpet. In Acts chapter 2, it said they shared everything that they had. They'd sell their property and possessions. They'd give money away to the poor. And the Bible tells us they would break bread together in different homes. Like they, they lived life together. They were weaved together into this tapestry. The Bible says they were like family to each other. And you know, Acts chapter 2 has been such a, a grounding verse in so many churches. But recently I've begun to understand that if you just forward a few chapters from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 13, I actually think you see the complete tapestry. Because it is when the church moves from Jerusalem to Antioch in Acts chapter 13 that the church truly becomes multi-ethnic, where everybody gets in, not just some. And this is what the Apostle Paul was arguing. He's saying, listen, no, no, no. The tapestry is more beautiful when everybody gets in. When our tables are filled with threads that are all different colors. Like this is what Jesus had in mind. It's Acts chapter 13. And you know, 
The most subversive thing we can do in a world that is divided as ours is to endeavor to build this. And the thing that will proclaim Jesus' name in ways that your individual voice can't is this. I mean, think about it. We live in a time where we see racial strife everywhere, not just in the U.S. It's happening everywhere. Where we're at each other because the tribalism that is absolutely the thing we run to for safety is now becoming one of those things that we war tribe among tribe, right? The most subversive thing we can build is a place where black and brown and white and young and old and rich and poor all sit at the table underneath Jesus' name and people will walk by and go, that's crazy. Y'all are crazy. Like, it can only happen in Jesus' name. It can only happen through Jesus. You know, when the elders talked to me about coming back to Rockford, as many of you know, I've told this story. It was like, I told the elders, I said, look, I'll come, but I'm not coming to build my thing. All I'm going to do is I'm going to remind people in Rockford what Jesus wanted us to build. It's not my idea. I'm not very smart. Trust me. Go to one lunch with me and you'll be like, well, yep, pretty dumb. I don't have like some master plan. There's no like thing where I went and whiteboarded and concocted the thing we're going to build. I went to the Bible. It's already written, right? And I went, oh, Acts chapter 13. That's what we're supposed to build. We're supposed to build a church that looks like Rockford. Why? Because Rockford looks like heaven. How do I know that? Because at the very end, at the very end in Revelations 7, 9, it says, after this, I look, this is in heaven. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from where? Every nation, every tribe, people and language, standing before the throne. Everybody mixed in, right? This tapestry. There wasn't a white section and a brown section and a black section and a rich section and a poor section. There was an all section, all united under Jesus. This is what he came to do. And my job is just to remind us, this is what we must do. It's why the first thing we did is plastered on the wall out there, anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone. And you know, it's funny how God works because, again, I am not the sharpest knife in the, I can't even know the, I don't even know the saying. Whatever that saying is, that's me. I don't even know what it is. But when, when we first, when I first took the role, it was during COVID. And COVID happened and I said Yes. But Graham was a senior in high school, and so Chrissy and I agreed that me moving to Rockford wasn't going to work, and so the deal was is I would commute for a year. Now, you have to know this about me. I'm an extremely social creature. I am not the pastor who likes to go back and be like, don't come and talk to me. I like people everywhere. I want to just like press palms and hang out all the time. That's like my love language is just hanging out, right? Just do it. That's me. When Chrissy and I go to parties, she's always like, Eric please do not leave my side. 
do not leave my side. And of course, inevitably, I'm like, leave her side. Just say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Um, I hate being by myself. And so the idea of commuting and living in a hotel for a year was like my own personal hell. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to get a place. And those of you that know downtown Rockford, in 2020, they, they took that what used to be an old office building back when I was here called the Talcott Building, and they turned it into lofts. So I, I, I had a friend who um, actually, well, one of my best friends is Greg Giamalva. He's the pastor of Stateline. So I'm like, Greg, where am I supposed to live? And he's like, I don't know. Um, let's go. I know a guy who's working on this building. So he went down with me, and we went and looked at the building. And I'm like, this is perfect. Nobody lives on this floor. That's exactly perfect, Greg. I'm literally going to be so miserable. Well, I took the apartment 704, and my first three people that I talked about um, coming and joining this vision of Acts chapter 13, a new kind of community, was Carrington and Ebony and Charmon. And when they agreed to move from Atlanta to Rockford, their first question is, well, where should we live? And I go, well, I have a place. It's on my floor. <laughs> You're going to have to live by me. And you'll know pretty soon if you like working with me. Um, Charmon uh, moved into 705 right next to me. And then Steve Carter moved into, no, he was, I'm 704. He was, where were you, where's Charmon? I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. It's details that no one cares about. All I can say is within a month, the entire floor was us. Lauren was in 707, and then Ari moved here. Cornbread moved. Trevor moved. He didn't live with us because he had a family. Um, but uh, soon, this little community sprung up. Now, you have to remember, this was in COVID. And remember, I don't like being by myself. So I started having super spreader events there at the, at the apartment. <laughs> Sorry, I was naughty. I was naughty. Sorry, I couldn't do it. We started having people come over to the seventh floor, and people were... From all over Rockford, we're like started to show up. People, I didn't know who they were. I mean, they're just like random people. I'm like, who are you? I don't know. I heard you were having a party. Yeah, yeah, come on in, right? And it was funny because November of that year, that same year, you know, I got here. For those of you that don't remember, like we opened a little bit late. And um, when we had our first communion service, I think like three of you showed up. And I'm like, oh, great. I moved all the way to Rockford. There's not even a church anymore. <laughs> I'm like, nobody's here. Well, by February, something was happening on the seventh floor. I just didn't realize it. Like people kept coming in and out, people from all walks of life, like Jesus conversations and people coming to Jesus in my front room. And we were sitting on a windowsill one night, it was in February, 2021. And I was feeling really low, right? Like, cause I'm not your like thick skin leader guy. Um, I am a pretty tender-hearted fella, and like, um, I was like, I, I don't know if I have. I remember telling Carter, I'm like, I don't know if I have what it takes to do this job. Like, I wanna, I'm trying really hard, but this is, I don't know if I have it, man. I don't know if I was made for this thing. And um, James Paik, who was a worship leader friend of ours who had come around in February, we were having this big shindig at my apartment. It was in my place, and it was down in Carrington's and over in, in Charmond's and people everywhere. And we're sitting on the windowsill, and I was feeling sorry for myself, probably. And uh, halfway through the event, he looked at me and said, Parker, something special is happening in this room. And I went, it is? He's like, yeah, bro, look around. I'm like, what? It's like, where else in the world is this happening? Black and brown and white and young and old and rich and poor? He goes, bro, 
this is the church. And I was like, oh, it is. Something's happening on the seventh floor. And you know, what we've come to understand about who we desire to be as a church is that if the seventh floor happened there once, it should happen everywhere all the time. Like all the time. And and this series that we're in is the most important series. We've been working on this series for six months. It's taken us two years as a church to figure it out. Like I said, not that quick. But we are at a point where over the next four weeks, we want to help you understand what does it mean to live seventh floor, Acts chapter 13, in every space, every school, every home. Because here's what I know. There is a bunch of Rockford who need to be weaved in to gospel communities. Amen? They need to be weaved in to these things. And here's the thing. That's not just my job. And that doesn't happen in rows. I love coming. We should come and exalt the name of Jesus and learn some things together. But we have to be a church, a seventh floor church, where we begin to learn how to do that everywhere. And that's what we're going to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to start. And I'm telling you, on the 23rd, I have a gift for you. You cannot miss it. You cannot miss it. This gift is a a tool that's going to help you see where you fit in the seventh floor and how you do this. Like, how do we do this? How do we build a community that Jesus asks us to do? But before we close, I wanted to play something to you for you because I think it means the world to me. I know we're running a little bit late. It's one song, but it's a song that um, Carrington and Lauren wrote. And they wrote it out of their experience in the seventh floor like what God was doing in their life. And the first time I heard it, I was just a pool of weepingness because what you may not know is, like that seventh floor saved my soul. There was so much wreckage when I came to Rockford for all kinds of reasons. That Acts 13 community saved my soul. And so when I hear the song, I still get a little weepy. We're gonna be releasing the seventh floor album in four weeks where you'll get to have all these songs we've been writing for us. This is our community. This is you. But I wanted you to hear the seventh floor song specifically so you can sort of get a taste of who we are and what we long to be. my feet and the friends gathered around this table revival right in front of me i can feel it it's his favor these are the days we've been praying for oh these are the days we've been praying for See the Father drawing strangers, adding to our number daily. He made us family overnight, and the way He let us hear it's crazy. Cause now these are the days 
we've been praying for. Oh, these are the days we've been praying for. We'll tell our children about the seventh floor. Wounds were healed by breaking bread and conversation. The kind of love that took away all our fears just from being at the table. And how we tasted and saw the goodness of God in ways we'd never seen before. We'll tell our children about the seventh floor. took us out, somehow brought us all together, and when we talk about it now, we're grateful for that weather, cause now these are the days we've been praying for, oh these are the days we've been praying for, we'll tell our children about the seventh floor. with this. I know we go, but man, that happened one place in one space and that was neat for you. But no, no, no. That would be us like us saying, oh, the upper room happened in one place in one space and it was just for those hundred some people. No, no, no. The seventh floor, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter two, pick it. It's for everybody. We want to create spaces where we weave people into places of healing and growth, safe places to be loved and love, places where they're celebrated for who they are in spite of their flaws, and a place where at the end of the day, only thing at the center of the table is Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you, will you help me not build anything, just do what Jesus asked us to do. Will you stand with me? Please come back. I'm begging you come back for this series. You'll be glad that you did. I believe that this city needs a seventh floor church, seventh floor spaces everywhere. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to each and every one of you. May, his, may he turn his face toward you. 
May he give you peace and may it all be so in Jesus' name. Grace and peace. I'll see you next week. I love you guys. Bye.